At what point in game five did you know it was over? I think when Gaudreau missed that penalty shot, you're just like, yep, we got it. I, Miko I was saying... big shot. No, the Miko power play goal. So it took you all the way to 5-1 to buy in? Yep. For me, it was the 4-1 goal. I was like, all right, that, that's probably enough. Just with how how Grubauer has been playing and, and how the Flames were playing, it was... I thought it was it was definitely over at that point. The penalty shot is a pretty early call, Earl. That's bold. It's just you knew. I mean, he had had um, a couple of rush chances before that, and it's just it, he just couldn't get a, a goal. And you're like, the frustration was so evident. And I mean, we we know this from having gone through the middle of our season that that when you just can't score it's entirely deflating and you just sort of saw the the disappointment and frustration and it, it, you just knew it wasn't going to happen well I'll, I'll piggyback off that and say when they called his goal back i mean at that point it's just like <laughs> yeah i forgot about that what yeah, can you do if and in a series like that, you need something like that to go your way to change the momentum. And when they didn't get that call, that was really tough. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you could tell they were beaten at that point because, I mean, it's just nothing's going right. Um, <clears throat> you, you need luck to go your way, as you said. And it's just, when it's not, there's just not a whole lot you can do about it. Well, I'll tell you what, for the Flames to pull out that game, they, they needed to be uh, the gutsiest club in the National Hockey League. Yeah. But that's not I mean, them. I'll, no. <laughs> I'll let somebody else tell you who that is. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon, pure guts. Oh! They got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for, I mean, we're calling it April 21st, 2019. I might post it later tonight. It's 420 right now as we record. Coming up on this special Chocolate Rabbits edition of the show, the Abs win a playoff round. Holy shit. We'll talk about why, we'll look ahead to round two, but before we go, we should say hello to the other disembodied voices. Joining me is Earl. What's up, Earl? Hello, friends. Joining us again is Jackie. Hi to you, Jackie. Greetings. And our last-minute postseason ringer is the voice of Vlad. What's up? Hey. Let's roll the clock back all the way to Monday. Colorado bring a 1-1 split out of Calgary after an exciting overtime win. They add Kale McCarr to their blue line. They open up the home portion of the series. Even with Sam Girard down with an apparent shoulder injury, you had to figure the Avs were positioned to win this game. But maybe not quite like this. Nathan McKinnon starts a party with a pair of power play goals, and as the Avs fill in the flames to the tune of a 21-8 shot advantage, Kale McCarr, his first period in the NHL, it's in the playoffs, and he does that for his first NHL point. Let's, let's linger here for a minute, if that's all right with y'all. McKinnon enters the zone, and Calgary backs off like they do all week. It never works out for him. 
Makar's behind him, barking out where he's at, and so Nate drops the puck, and it's not a smooth drop pass, but Makar can handle it well enough to, let me make sure I get this right, go backhand to forehand through three Calgary defenders and zoop the puck, the zoop, 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 whatever the puck did, through Mike Smith. I want to know how y'all reacted to this goal, because I think I just laughed. It was perfectly storybook. (laughs) Yeah. But that's who Makar is. You couldn't have scripted it any better. I mean, that was his seventh shift in the NHL, and he's pulling moves like that. You're just like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So seeing that in live at Pepsi Center was, it was artistry. It really was. I, the whole place just erupted, and just to see it just go slide underneath Mike Smith's pads, I just, I, I screamed three times at least. That you know, Kale McCarr, oh my god, ah, Kale McCarr, and the place just went crazy. T- seeing it, you know, on the broadcast just does not do that goal justice at all. So, was there like a, a secondary role when they announced his name where like everybody understood who it was? Oh, everybody didn't need that secondary, they knew, they knew oh, it was okay. him, and it was just. That building just popped like nothing I've ever seen. It was unbelievable. Yeah, someone said that the uh, they measured the decibel level and it was 114, which is like jet engine territory. And it was interesting hearing the interview from Kale's father, Gary, and he had the same impression that it was just, I think he said it was like goosebumps or spine tingling or something like that. And, you know, for an... I, an outside, a relative outsider to feel that. That's pretty cool. Right. Think of it when, uh, in Game 82 last season, when Landis Gog put the empty net goal in to essentially seal the playoffs for the Az. Put it, the noise there, and then multiply it by a factor of kajillion. And you get <laughs> about that. <laughs> the crowd was wow. already buzzing like basically every time McCarr touched the puck. I think like when when McKinnon carries the puck the crowd buzzes, but they were this was different. When when McCarr had the puck the crowd cheered. Just because he was carrying the puck. Like, yeah. that was it was already electric before he did whatever that was. And and shout out to the Avs fans for that cuz you know, I mean, obviously there are a lot of hardcore fans who, who have known who Kale McCarr is for many years, but um, you know, for, for a lot of people, I'm sure that's the first they'd ever heard of him and they get a load of that and they're like, this is the guy that just sort of stepped onto our team. Oh my goodness. Kale <laughs> <laughs> McCarr made a lot of Kale McCarr fans with that goal. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Nieto, Miko Rantanen and Eric Johnson would add goals before this one ended and then TJ Brody ended the Brazil bid, but that's your final. 6-2 and just dominant. Smith made 50 saves and the final was 6-2. Yeah, it's in, I mean that was that was such a beatdown. Like last night was kind of a beatdown, but I mean I I think game 3 was when we all knew that, that basically Calgary would have a very, very difficult time getting back into the series. So, so we, we spent p- plenty of time on his goal. Let's, let's kind of break down a little bit more on how Kale McCarr, like what his impact on the roster was, maybe not just in Game 3, but in general. Um, because obviously by the time we get to Game 5, he's playing big minutes. Um, 
but just kind of the element that he's brought has just been something that I don't know that there's any other abs defenders that have that whole package. It's really been amazing through just three games and how well he's fit in. Just, I, I truly believe he has made a difference. I mean, the way that they played in the last three games, and of course th- there's a lot to that and the momentum and what the stars have been able to do. But I think you truly have to consider that he's taken this team up a notch already. And especially being able to mitigate the loss of Sam Gerrard, which they certainly would have been hurting in the puck movement department. And I think they're going to need him in the series, but we'll get to that. But it's just the skating, the dynamic quality. You can, you can already tell that he's, he's smart at that, at this level. He, the skating's elite at this level and the aggressiveness that he possesses on offense already has created, he has two points in three games. He has, he's plus four, you know, whatever, plus minus, but he's still, he's still, he's plus four. He's over 60% Corsi. It, it really is remarkable what he's been able to do in just three games. I, I mean, I think the, one of the most important things to note is that He's not he's not a guy that comes into the lineup and then they're just sort of trying him out and sheltering him. I mean, they're not giving him a lot of defensive zone faceoffs. They're giving him more than I thought. Um, but he's making everyone better on the ice. And that's I mean, you just you don't see that very often at all for a, a rookie defenseman in his first three games in the league. I mean Patrick Nemeth. <clears throat> <laughs> I know he's made Nemeth look good. Patrick he Nemeth was already Nemeth. looking okay in game one and two. He's yeah. like, he was he to my eye was already playing his best hockey of the season in game one and two. Kale McCarr shows up and points out the breakout pass that that Nemeth makes. <laughs> yep. Like what? And he's been doing that I mean basically the whole time that they're together, he's he's pointing out, you know, like pass it there. And <laughs> That's great. And it, it, the weird thing about it is it, it shows a side of Nemeth that you don't really think about. It's like, you know, we think he's just sort of some dull clod who has no skill, and that's why he chips it out all the time. And maybe it's just, you know, he doesn't have the vision. Um, so Makar has more vision than he could possibly ever use. And so he's <laughs> using that vision to help Patrick Nemeth um, become a better hockey player. And in game four, when that was the closest game of the, of the three that he, he's played, he relied a lot on his passing, his breakout passes. There were multiple times that he sprung guys on a rush into the zone. And in a tight game, that, that's exactly what they needed. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I think there were a lot of times when Calgary offensive players were completely surprised at how easily... That, that Makar relieved them of the puck or won a puck battle in the corner or was able to make a move to get away from defenders and get some space in the defensive zone to make a good breakout pass. Um, you know, and then just, in overtime... You're, you're looking at the package here and you're just seeing yeah. the possibilities and it's just... <laughs> exactly. Like overtime in game four was when you even saw a little taste of what could be the smoke show. Like some of the things he was doing in that overtime was just next level stuff. 
Yeah, like, I mean, he... I, when, and when Bender was using him in essentially on all defensive pairs in game three, that's what stood out to me. Like, oh, he's not just going to be paired up with Eric Johnson. He's paired up with Tyson Berry. He's like, nope, Bender's going to try him with everyone. And with everybody, he fit well. Yeah, I mean, I know Tyson Berry has really taken some steps forward uh, defensively and, and responsibility-wise. Um, but it, you know, just given the old Tyson Berry narrative, it you'd think that pairing Makar and Berry together would be kind of insane, you know, in his first couple of games. But it's, you know, even that's worked really well. Well, yeah, Sam and Barry are good, so I, I can definitely see the thinking there. Let's oh, see. Yeah. If I mean, Bender it's more of a Barry thing. Here. I mean, yeah. it's just people don't trust Barry, and they they probably should more. But, um, you know, that was you know that was a good pairing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just I don't see. I think in the first game I saw a little bit of sort of where am I supposed to be or maybe I'm a, a five feet away from where I'm supposed to be kind of thoughts. But, um, you know, he's able to make up for that by pure instinct really easily. He can pinch up so much because he can recover so fast. So it's not even a worry if he's halfway down the zone or even further because... Which is good because he does that often. <laughs> yeah. But it's like two strides and he's back where he's supposed to be. So that's and and we should definitely emphasize he has played well defensively. Like you said that's in game I, one. Yeah, that's what I was talking about as far as not knowing yeah. exactly where to be. And and sometimes he's doing that. I think it's on purpose. We were talking about this in the Discord today. That a lot of times he will play off of a, a, the guy he's defending and wait for him to, you know, get close to receiving the pass and then start defending him. And it, I, I think, you know, it's kind of, it, it's a chancy strategy, but uh, he's quite good at it. And I think right. it, he it liked to do that in college, like, like baiting guys. Yeah. Get closer to him and then he would just burn them. That's just taking the game on a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Bender was impressed with this shot block in game in the first game he played. And then I think last night he also had, some good defensive plays like taking the puck away things like that yeah he had a couple of shifts like that where he was either having steals or multiple blocks in one shift like in the first period when it was still pretty tight so like i mean so shout out to kale mccarr i mean the future is pretty much here like, yeah i like, mean i know we, we try not try not to over exaggerate or get ahead of ourselves but he is a special player i just there's just no way that he he isn't going to make a huge difference starting from now and then on for years and years. Well, let's talk about another special player who has found a way that I didn't realize was possible to have yet another extra gear this playoff series. Um, he leads the, the playoffs in time on ice per game among forwards. He leads the playoffs in points on the power play. He's fifth in points overall. This is Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. I mean, he, he had an easy night last night. They, they kind of gave him the night off. I mean, he only played 18 minutes. Um, He's still first but, among and, forwards in time on ice per game. Right. That, I mean, that's how, that's how insane it is that he's still leading. Because, you know, <laughs> I mean, he played 29 minutes in game four, I'm pretty sure, or, or just under that. And, I mean, what he's done to Calgary, it, it's, it's been really fun for me to watch – uh, sort of the mainstream hockey 
uh, media reaction to him. And they're all sort of like, you know, I knew he was good, but not this good. <laughs> right. They should have figured that out last year. Like, I almost won the heart trophy. Maybe should have. But um, yeah. I think especially game two and three, two, obviously, when he had the the overtime winner, which I think carried into game three, he was just, you know, there's games where he's just skating so hard and it's almost like nothing really comes of it. But this was one where every single time he had the puck, and I think you even described it as it looks like something dangerous is going to happen. Yeah. And, and yeah, Calgary had no answer for him. They The defenseman couldn't cover him. They couldn't stop him from entering the zone. They couldn't slow him down. There was just nothing they could do. I forgot a stat. He, he also leads the playoffs in shots on goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's tough because, he, I mean, you kept seeing the Calgary defenseman, like, you know, they tried playing him close and he blows by him. They tried playing off and he still blows by him. Um, you know, there's, there's, <laughs> there was no proper way to defend him the way he was playing this series. And I mean, you could sort of see the shell shock in their eyes. I mean, the, you know, it's like, we've got the, you know, the Norris trophy for, um, forerunner in, in Mark Giordano. And he's just got no answer for that. And he was he, a cheat code all yeah. series long. <laughs> Giordano, after Game Five, his his uh, his interview with with Calgary media is just like he he looks like he has you know seen the face of God and <laughs> doesn't know how to handle himself. He's just like well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, you know maybe maybe I'm just being a homer about this, but you're, you're you're almost starting to see like people questioning whether he might not be the best player in the league. Um. You know, I, I know everyone's just, you know, it's like, no, he's he can't be better than McDavid. But it's just, I, I don't know how you, if you watched every minute of this series, I mean, I, I'm not totally sure that McKinnon isn't the best player in the league. It's without, a fair question, with, Without question, he's top three or four. Yeah. Like, that conversation is you know, Sidney Crosby till it isn't, and Kucherov and McDavid and McKinnon, and I guess you can add your favorite player that's not on that list. Like, that's it. Mako. <laughs> right, and, and think about what, what Kucherov did for the Lightning in their series. That's what McKinnon has done for the Avs. And it's yeah. a total win day. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I, I think that's part of why I was starting to get the feeling that people were really thinking that, you know, McKinnon is, is maybe moving into, <clears throat> not generational, well, but close. Well, the other um, thing because is because of what he did in the playoff series, it's just you know. Yeah, everyone else you mentioned's out. Crosby was out yeah. round one. Kucherov was out round one. McDavid didn't make it, and Taylor Hall didn't make it. Sure, yeah. whoever your your fifth is is likely not still playing either. So it is true that the playoffs are where you raise your reputation. Yeah, I mean, when you dominate a series the way he did, I mean, that's just, that's special. I mean, that's, you know, that that's what endeared Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg and Patrick Waugh to everybody in Denver. Yep. I would like to say I think Miko carried four and five a bit more than McKinnon did. Well, I mean, I I think Calgary just made it a point, like, 
we can't keep getting beat by this guy. And then that just leaves it open for Miko to do his thing. And, you know, plus Miko is gradually getting stronger and more comfortable after not playing for eight games going into the series. You know, and he, he ended up outscoring Mac. And I thought, he did. I, I thought in games four and five, he was back to being, you know, maybe 85, 90%. Yeah. For me, Miko got the results that, that maybe McKinnon didn't in games four and five, but those are still McKinnon's performances for me. Oh, yeah. But it's like when you have a plan B like Rantanen, I mean... <laughs> you can't go wrong there. But before we move on to game four, I want to just kind of... Excuse me, run a quick fun fact by you guys. Um, this this year so far, as of right this minute, playoffs, points per game leaders, number one, Tyler, Max Petrietti, and Mark Stone. Then you have Miko Rantanen, Matt Duchesne, Paul Stastny, Nathan McKinnon. That's a familiar <laughs> list. Yeah. Yeah, I've been watching that too, and it's interesting the. To... The list of abs and former abs on there. I'm surprised Mr. Selkie's not up there. <laughs> <laughs> he was for a while. I don't see. I mean, I know on. he's had a good year. I'm not even really saying that sarcastically. He's not in the top 50 in scoring anymore. Landis Hodges. <clears throat> well, I mean, there's a billion guys tied at four points, so he may be one of those. Right. Um, we came into game four on Wednesday. Honestly, with the Avs poised for a letdown game, they won an overtime on the road, then they came home and pooped all over the Flames' breakfast. Calgary were ready to push back, and Colorado were in a position to maybe let off the gas a little bit. Instead, what happened was a very back-and-forth game that in the regular season you'd probably say Mike Smith stole a point, as he stops 49 of 52, and the Avs win in overtime 3-2. Miko Ranton and your hero in this one with the game-tying tip-in goal and the OT winner. JT Comfort gets his second of the postseason. This game was set up to be really frustrating, a lot like Game 1, but instead it turned into Game 2. What was different? Yeah. This was one Calgary had to have, absolutely. If you could say the series turned... You could you could even say it turned in Game 2 or after they had the beatdown in Game 3, but Calgary really needed that Game 4, and the fact that they weren't able to close that out really hurt. Yeah. Um, I'd say the power, if anything was different, maybe the power play. They finally, they had to rely on the power play to tie that game. And they could have won it with the power play, but, you know, we won't complain this time. <laughs> but they, they absolutely needed a clutch goal from the power play. And they got I mean, it with for the me, goal that they started turning to, you know, it's a new kind of attempt for them on the power play. It's Nathan McKinnon gets the puck in the OV spot, and instead of taking the slap shot, he feeds the slot, the shot pass into the slot, where he had this time Miko Rantanen sitting there. But we also saw Colin Wilson get that goal. We see Gabe Landeskog in that spot pretty often. Like that's a dangerous attempt. Yeah, it's a, it is a good new idea. It's not a new idea. It's. The idea should have had all year. <laughs> it, it's an idea it's that they went away from for a long time. It's just we haven't seen it since November. Yeah, I mean, this is what Power Play 2 did in the early season to really clean up, you know. I, I, I don't know why it's back in vote. I'm, I'm glad it is because, hey, it works. Um, For me, this game was, you know, I thought the, this was probably the Flames' best game of the series. Um, after they scored, the the Avs got a power play, didn't do anything with it, and then <clears throat> the Avs really started taking over. 
Um, and Calgary started sitting back with the lead, and that's that's when uh, you know that that's when you you knew trouble was brewing. But then they scored and made it two nothing, and you're like, all right, is this going to be the Avs team that down the stretch was like two down two nothing? <laughs> that's fine. That's exactly what where we love to be. And yes. as soon as they scored that second goal, Comfer got it right back, and then you're just like, all right, we're in business. Um, you know, I I wasn't. I wasn't as confident that they could tie it up at the end, but it didn't surprise me, let's say. I think that's fair. When JT made it 2-0, I thought it was over. Or, or, or before yeah. JT scored, but when it was 2-0, I thought it was over. And then when he scored the 2-1, I said, oh, okay, they're actually just going to come back. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely, it certainly changed it. It's certainly, because it's like, okay, one goal, they can, they can do that. Because they've been pushing hard for 30 minutes and just not getting the yeah. results. It's just like, God damn it, Mike Smith's going to do this again. And then, no, they're going to get one. Okay, then they can get another. I thought it was going to end at 2-1, honestly. I thought they would at least make a good rally, but hold them off. And it would just be like, well, good game well played. Didn't get the tying goal. We have a brand new series. I was genuinely just stunned that, A, they would get that late uh, power play. And point two, that they would actually tie it. Yeah, in overtime, it wasn't exactly the abs in 3v3 during the season, but I mean, it's like Calgary came out and they kind of owned the first couple of minutes. And then the abs kind of had a few good shifts and it was, you know, it was getting better. And then Cole takes a penalty, of course, but that's actually good, <laughs> apparently, because twice <laughs> it's happened. And <laughs> twice they've won in overtime. <laughs> so the, the first penalty Ian Cole took in overtime was. Yes, he probably cross-checked him, but you don't see that called in the playoffs unless James Neal dives yeah. headfirst into the boards. The second, I mean, the one in Game Four, he, he put the puck over the glass. What are you going to do? Like, yeah, <laughs> the Avalanche got the same power play late in the third. They weren't able to convert on it. They converted on Gabe Landeskog getting can openered, but uh, they weren't able to convert on their own puck over the glass call. But I mean, cool Game Four. Big win. Uh, that save <laughs> Philip Grubauer made in overtime. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. It 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 was nice watching it li live. I guess you could say, you know, as it was happening. But then when you saw the replay and just how he just stuck his foot up just a little bit, it's just that was ridiculous. And it's just, I mean, I it's a... insane that at, right after that is when they went down and scored too. And you're just like. I mean, if you're the Flames, how can how can you rationalize that? You know, it's like back when after the game was just like I got owned <laughs> twice. Awful. I had a bird's eye view of that save, and I thought for sure Backlund had Grubauer dead to right. Essentially, what ninety percent of just waiting for him, and then yeah. boink. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know and if the I puck was how... rolling or what, but Grubauer, like, that's a prediction save. Grubauer's foot went up before the shot came. Yeah, he even <laughs> said, like, I saw um, what he said about it last night was um, that that he kind of guessed, like, that he was waiting him out, guessed when he was going to shoot it, and good guess. <laughs> He guessed right. Yeah, because I mean, that's a pretty good guess. When you're in that tight, it's really hard to elevate the puck that quickly. So I mean, it's risky too, because if even if he just duffs it a little bit, the puck slides under your pad, and you look like a like a donkey for trying to do that. But 
I mean, that's, I mean, the puck must have been like flat against his blade or something for Grigard <laughs> to know where, like, so tightly where it was going before the shot came. Like, that was, what a save. And and the reason I wanted to make sure we spend time on that save is Philip Grubauer is kind of getting the short end of the, of the coverage this series because he hasn't been amazing because he hasn't had to be, but he's been really good. Definitely. He has. I, I yeah. thought... I thought in game four, he actually wasn't that great. I thought his, you know, he was giving up a lot of ju- pretty juicy rebounds and, you know, I'll credit a lot to that, a lot of that to the flames who, who were, you know, I think that was their best game of the series. Um, but, you know, it's like the numbers up that he has over this series. Well, I, you know, again, I, I, he's made some really good saves, but I thought he's been just sort of okay. Most of the time. Um, against a very high scoring team. I mean, that just shows that, I mean, he's got another level he can go to and that's, that's nice to have in the bank. Yeah, he started game four kind of rough. You, you saw him like making glove saves that were deflections and not catches. And that's, yeah. that's never a good sign, but period three and overtime, he just took over. Like there was nothing else that was good. Like th- nothing was getting through and you just knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, like when the Flames had a flurry, he just locked it down. And they could have easily converted in those areas. So yeah, like I uh, thought he was much better in Game Five than he was in Game Four. Yeah, he he fought through it a little bit in Game Four. I'm just gonna mention it's windy as shit today, and I, that's probably got a little bit to do with why my connection's not perfectly stable. So I do apologize for how in and out some of this audio is. Um, Let's go ahead and move on to, to finishing the series off, because finally on Friday, the Avs go into Calgary, and finally, this is more like what we expected from the series. Maybe maybe not the power play success, maybe not the 5-1 score, but Philip Grubauer to be solid and Mike Smith to not be in an otherwise pretty even matchup. Gabe Landeskog finally gets on the board to open scoring, then Miko Rannan puts one in off Smith's back-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never saw a clean replay that really showed where it went off and I didn't really care too much we we're just going to call it a butt goal and move on the Flames got one back with 5 seconds left in the first which you just can't have but then the Avs turned yeah, to I their thought... guy their playoff hero their proven force of nature <laughs> Colin Wilson who had a 2 goal second period Ranson and adds his second of the night and his fourth in 2 games in the power play in the third to ice it and the Colorado Avalanche have dispatched the Western Conference champs in 5 I thought that goal they gave up at the end of the first was going to hurt. It just kind of goes to show what concerned. sort of mindset the team has developed because that's exactly the kind of goal that would have been the turning point in the game all December, all January, half of February. Like I was that. concerned at that last, you know, five, ten seconds that that happened. And then when the bank shot went in for Miko, for Miko I was like, nah, it's over. We're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was... Um... I, I really enjoyed the first period because it, it just showed the frustration that the Flames have had all season or all all series. I made that mistake twice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's your at a point. No one will ever suspect it. <laughs> um, but, you know, they had a lot of really good chances. I think they had five rush chances in the first period. I mean, that's their bread and butter. I mean, that's how, you know, that's how they won the Western Conference over the season. And, and one of them was a penalty you know, shot. And one of them was a penalty shot. And you just, it, it wasn't working. You could tell. And it and not that the Avs goals weren't great because 
what turned out to be the winning goal was, you know, Kale McCarr, of course, because he only gets involved with game-winning goals. The others, you know, we can let the plebes handle those. <laughs> yeah, um, he had the primary assist on the Miko Butt goal. And yeah, I exactly. Think, Miko I think, makes just a sick pass from below the net and hits Kale McCarr, who gets a, a solid shot away. Smith saves it, and it finds its way behind the net to, to Miko again. And so... <sighs> I, 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 I'm not saying the Avs were lucky, but you know it's like things were definitely falling their way with that goal. So having a two nothing lead and only being down or only being up two one at the end, I, I still considered that. Uh, you know they were playing very well, and Calgary was not getting any luck at all. And that's just that that that's where the confidence came for me that 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 goal at the end of the first was meaningless. Well, like I said earlier. When Calgary got the the Gaudreau goal called back, I think that was in the second period, right? Yes. Yeah, I think yes. so. Um, yes. That probably really was the turning point. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge. Because I think that would have made it three to two, I believe. Yeah. If that had stood, so I think that... yeah, I think it was pretty soon after Willie's first goal. Yeah. Yeah. And then, are we in agreement that that was the right call? I, I did, think I, if they called it no, if they'd called it a goal on the ice, I have a feeling that would have stood. I think it, you know, I think it was an in the moment call that they made, and, and I, you know, I'm fine with. Um, and overturning <laughs> it, there was <laughs> there was no reason to overturn it. I agree. I think there wasn't enough to overturn that. Like goaltender interference is about the goaltender being able to establish his position again, and and he was kind of run through and knocked over and but the contact had ended by the time the shot came but you could reasonably reasonably argue that he was not able to establish his position again and i think like you said had if the abs just had challenged that in hopes of a no goal probably wouldn't happen but since yeah the refs were pretty emphatic that it was no and they called it off right away then I I felt reasonably good that that was going to stand. It's just, I, I think it, that Bennett was so deliberate in how he pushed EJ into Grubauer. That's what really set the refs off on that play. I mean, I think it, if it had looked more incidental, I, I, I think the abs might've been out of luck. Yeah. yeah that's I'll agree to that too. for sure. And then I mean, of course it didn't hurt that Grubauer kind of got his skate caught on the post as he tried to recover and twist himself all up in a knot. So, yeah, there's a little, so there's a little bit of drama in how he goes down, um, but I mean, I think that's the right call. But then I famously have no idea what goaltender interference is. Right, it was definitely that on that play. <laughs> <laughs> goaltender interference in the NHL right now is, is it's kind of like profanity, right, or obscenity. Like you, see, when you, you know it when you see it. That's that's kind of what the yeah. rule is right now, and it's Do. really frustrating. <laughs> So I don't know if I just lost everybody. No. Not at all. Because no. like, they made a weird sound. Yeah, I lost everybody. Because you, every one of you roboted that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, um, before we move on entirely, um, Earl had a... Wait, I want to... I need to give a shout out to my hero here. Um, okay, you do that. Big Willie. Yeah. Colin Wilson was amazing in the in the second period, and I, I wrote this today that if you take Wilson's aggregate sort of production level, 
and and just sort of made him consistently that level, he would be fairly useless. But when you get Willie that just sort of disappears like he did in game two, um, and then you get a game like this where he comes out and just has the period of his life in the playoffs and scores two goals and gets an assist, um, you know, I, I think that's better as far as getting something out of a player like Wilson. It's like, if you can get a period like that out of a guy like that, I'd rather take that than someone who's just sort of consistently mediocre. I almost think that's kind of the same as Comfer. I mean, when he shows up, he shows up big time. Yeah. The, there are a lot of times that he disappears more than his fans would like to admit. <laughs> Certainly when 1877 comes up, those are huge goals. So yeah. that that is part of being a depth guy and being inconsistent is like the good is really good. It's just, it disappears, but I get what you're saying. Like you'd rather have a few good moments than more mediocre moments. Right. Especially I mean, because it, those it, moments are more, they, they define things in a different way with the, with especially last night in game five, where those two goals, it completely just, shifted everything in the as favor and they just never looked back yeah i mean and that tip he had on the mckinnon shot i mean that was really that's a high skill play that was really nice um you know you, you see a play like that from wilson and you're like you know if you can do that a couple times in a series we're gonna get a lot of out out of this guy and then you know if he does float around otherwise then then you don't really mind that So before we try to put a bow on this thing, I do want to get stars and scratches. Not for the week, but for the entire series. And my stars are Mac and Miko, so y'all have to do the work. <laughs> um, I'm going to put one down for Matt Nieto. And... I was, I was going to say kind of where we were going down this road that I think Wilson, Comfort, and Nieto all stepped up. And yeah. scored some huge. They each scored what two goals each, in, in a five game series. That's that's pretty darn good. That'll do. Yeah, I'm gonna and, go with Grubauer and actually Coach Bedner. Continue, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> Since we scratched Bednar last week, and you know, <laughs> and we shouldn't have. Well, I mean, Colorado I mean, has this... spent this fi last five games absolutely shutting calgary down the coach deserves some credit right i mean yeah. do you want to get into it here or is that sure. something we're going to get into later about go right ahead just well i think i think one question is um you know how much of an impact bednar had on this series like do you feel like his his matchups uh what he was doing strategically was a big impact I, or do you think it was just more the the big stars showing up no, I think his game plan was fantastic. And it really took a while to manifest itself in a way that, that us lay people could really discover. Um, but, you know, after a while, you sort of looked at it and you're like, you know, this this strategy was not to come in and play our game and, you know, compete hard and, and all the things he always says. He basically turned the Avs into the Flames for this series and beat them at their own game, and it, it was just wonderful to watch. Um, you know, they struggled a little bit with it in the first game, and, and obviously the results weren't weren't that good in the first game. But as as the as the series progressed, 
you could really see it that you know we were really beating them at their own game when we were we were the transition team we were the team in the neutral zone filching pucks and turning them back the other way and i think that really gave calgary a lot of problems because they were expecting the avs to be the avs and not themselves i think ben benner kind of had an interesting comment in one of his pressers where he basically said like he was even a little bit surprised the matchups worked so well for him on the road yeah that they were basically giving him either what he wanted or what obviously what was working so i think at that point when they couldn't even find the advantage at home then when it turned to the series in colorado that benner was just able to continue on with how he saw that yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier if both coaches want the same matchups. <laughs> 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 you know, and I think we also I, have... I, I think some of that was also a sort of a backhanded way of saying that we really expected the Monaghan and Gaudreau line to be a lot better than they were. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and I think we have of... to give... Here, go ahead. Sorry. To... To kind of go along with that, you know, being being the uh, the road team for the first two games, and you don't get that benefit of that last change, and you roll out of there with the with a split, that's always going to be looked at as as a a bonus when you're coming home. Yeah. And then you, when you come home, and then you roll the top seed in two games, it's like how how is that not? part of the coaching strategy, especially when we think about what Bednar said, and this might be a little nugget that people may have forgotten, but before the series started, he was on record as saying, we're going in to win this thing. Yeah. He already had that mindset that it's not the happy to be here avalanche. It's not the, well, we squeaked in avalanche. No, we're going to go in. We're going to win. And that was setting the tone for his roster. This is the expectation. We are here to win. Maybe it worked out a lot better than we had predicted, but we're not complaining. Well, it worked out it, for the people in this room. It only worked out a lot better than one of us predicted, but we're not we're not going to flame them too much. Eh? Flame. We're not, we're not going <laughs> to flame them too much for this. Um, but we'll we'll get to to some of those yeah, predictions yeah. in a minute. I I do before we move on from the Bednar thing. I I think he has to be given a some credit for his lineup management, which we have complained a lot about over the whole sum or the whole season. And in particular, his usage of Makar and trusting him. And also I would say maybe sort of kind of getting rid of Broussard. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> see what happens with that. <laughs> now, now that you can't possibly just, continue saying that Broussard has an illness, maybe he has mono now, but <laughs> quarantine. <The bumps. laughs> it, does, it does feel like his lineup management worked here. It really does. Um, and one thing I'll say, you know, it's really tough to, to get into the other coach's head when you don't watch them all the time, but um, you know, I really think that Bill Peters was outcoached this whole series and you know I, I was never that impressed with him in Carolina just because he always seemed to be sort of a one strategy guy like shoot a lot 
you know, play the neutral zone and turn pucks over and, and that's sort of the game plan. And when it's not working, then there's, there's really no plan B. And I, you know, that, that seems to have sort of followed him to Calgary and he didn't have a lot of answers for what Bednar did. And, you know, that, that's kind of impressive just because, you know, Bednar has not been in the league as long as Peters. And so, um, you know, that, that, that's kind of cool to see. So for scratches, I want to start with the face Bill Peters made when they called back that goal. Because <laughs> that was nightmare fuel. Never do that again. <laughs> and by the way, I'm giving my stardom a car, but we've covered that. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, you mean, wanna, that... if you want to scratch, I'm scratching Ian Cole. You're gonna have to elaborate sounds, on that. I I know it sounds nitpicky, but you know they the, won. The, the they won three games. Four one. We have to nitpick for scratches. Right. Yes, <laughs> but he he was a disaster with the puck. Like he is why they need Sam Gerrard back because they cannot. He cannot be counted on to handle the puck. Like he could have had some real big disaster moments that the team cleaned up for him. Like two, the two penalties in overtime, first of all. Then in the first overtime, he hands the puck straight to Kachuk, in like right in front of the net, and somehow that didn't go in. Then last night's game, he was the reason Oops. why it's five seconds left <laughs> that do anything but that <laughs> boots the puck. and then oh in the back of the net i think that was also caused after his icing and then the goal that was called back the Gaudreau goal was cole and ej in the defensive zone so you know he he has the game style that works in the playoffs the physicality those are the things you need, but please, for the love of God, stay away from the puck. Okay, I'll accept that. I, I think he did have some good moments as well, though. So I think on and average, I think his course four is the worst of the team as well. So with this series, you're gonna have good moments from every player, um, with maybe the exception of my real scratch, which is not actually built the face Bill Peters made, even though that was just like mask like. Um, it's. It was hard to, like, I obviously didn't watch very much of Altitude's coverage, but every time I had a glimpse of it, it was something embarrassing happening. Like, <laughs> listing the final score wrong, or calling goaltenders by the wrong name, or just... Calgary well, this 6, was... Colorado 2. Yeah. Was, uh... Well, this was finally the time where Peter McNabb could get all of his playoff anecdotes out, and it was relevant, first of all. <laughs> And second of all, the rainbow and sunshine was. How many accurate. times did he say "big strong"? <laughs> I did that. Don't don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, like the enthusiasm and everything matched the occasion more than like the three month delusion hour <laughs> that we deal with in the regular season. And this is their last hurrah, right? Like, this is it. No more altitude broadcasts, so. Yeah. The end of game four, when, when a team scores an overtime game-winning goal at home, as a broadcaster, 
You call the goal, and you get out of the way. You let the moment breathe. You let whoever's watching on TV experience the crowd. Altitude just yells over them. Come on. This is this is like the number one example that people point to when they talk about not liking Pierre Maguire. The, can you believe it? I can! <laughs> like, don't do that. Ugh. So, oh. as, as much as we have to bitch about national coverage on both channels, and there is plenty to bitch about there, I'm glad. And I really hope that things get cleaned up for uh for next season's broadcasts because um like altitude has always been a lower tier broadcast channel for me which is partially because they're mandated to be state media and whatever but like it, this has been rough these this last few games sounds like i'm glad i get nbc yeah <laughs> sounds like i'm glad i'm in the building yeah <laughs> Like I said, uh, I think it was worse in the regular season, personally. Any other hockey-related scratches that we want to get to? Yeah, don't make Derek me Broussard. be the only one. <laughs> that's an easy one. Yeah, Derek Broussard didn't play this week, so that's uh, that, that one I'm, I'm taking <laughs> carry over scratch. Yeah, yeah, um, I can't be the only one to pick a player. Yeah, Broussard is a freebie. Um, I mean, I can pick I'm on, gonna... on Eric Johnson, but that, that's tied up with Ian Cole. They're kind of doing the same thing, which is funny because they're on the same pair. This is going to be a real nitpick for me, but I'm going to go with Carl, even though he had the pass for the winning goal. But he just—he hasn't been look... right. He hasn't. Yeah. I don't know if it was the Eichel hit or he just finally slowed. I think he played every single game, so maybe just slowing down. But it certainly seems like he's just not with it or something. Yeah, it's been since yeah. that hit. Like, there's I think several of us who have noticed that. This... Yeah, I think this week, he's going to be one of the guys that's really going to benefit from this week. Um, you know, I, I mean, obviously, guys like Gabe and Miko probably really need a rest as well. But, <clears throat> um, you know, w without any knowledge of what's really up with Carl, I, I just tend to think that, you know, he's been battered and banged up for a while and um, that he's he's going to be a guy that, that could be a big surprise in the next um, series. But I, will be know, I agree needed. he was pretty much a ghost this series other than that wonderful pass on the Miko's winning goal. And I think he I think game one I, I think he was one of the Bedner's passengers. Yeah, yeah I he, think he was too. He had a pretty stinky game one. <laughs> so yeah. be before we move on from the series Earl had a great idea for the show's roadmap today and, and that's to revisit some of our predictions from the staff roundtable before the series. So jump in at whatever point you think is a good time to jump in. Shout out to Professor Oak's response to which player would be the playoff hero after watching Game 5 last night. He wrote, Colin Wilson has always been billed as good in the playoffs. Plays the right way. Power game is strong on the boards. To get those dirty goals that are always scored by those true hockey hero moments. <laughs> Willie's a hero. Yep. I, I thought that was a good call. Um, I mean, I, I liked a lot of our, our predictions in this thread. I'm going to um, get to a lot of them. Okay. <clears throat> Just let you keep going. <laughs> but, keep no, please, going. Please keep jumping in, though. Uh, I was next on the list, so I will not brag on myself because that's for chumps. 
Jackie, you brought up Zadoroff in the hero question. The unlikely hero for me isn't so much a bottom six forward, but someone who has the chance to impact the game in a much bigger manner, and that's Nikita Zadoroff. He, along with Gabe Landeskog, are the only Avalanche players who can set or turn a game's physical tone. And and to my eyes, Zadorov's game was just critical in shutting down some of the Flames' bigger punks. So definitely. He might have been the one that took Kachuk off his game. He had a huge hit on him in game one, and that was really his only good game. Yeah, Who was it that he handled in the corner in game four like through on three, three separate occasions? Was that Monaghan or Bennett? It was Bennett. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, Z was... I, I, I totally agree with this because I think Z was a huge factor. He didn't have any points in the series and, and that's just totally fine with me because I, I think what he did as far as not letting Calgary get the upper hand in that physical game really paid off. J.D. Killian called depth scoring the key to the series, and while McKinnon did absolutely take over, there were a couple of games where they wouldn't have had the chance to without the likes of Matt Nieto and J.T. Comfer opening things up. Yep. Um, And I like that the narrative that they kept trying to, you know, they kept going through the narrative that the Avs are a one-line team and depth is a problem. And, you know, you look at sort of the scoring for the series and you're like, I see some pretty good depth, depth scoring here. No, so yeah. which we Sorry. talked about in, um, in one of our star, stars of the series Vlad you correctly noted that 5 on 5 play would have to be the difference maker in this series because of their struggles on special teams especially lately the money quote here is as long as the Avs can keep the Flames guessing at even strength Colorado ought to have the edge in overall talent to push the series in their favor they sure were perplexed and the, the Flames power play <laughs> was just about all they could get going so good call there yeah thank you Yep, and that. you and you, Steph said about goaltending and Comfer, so that those are both good calls. Yeah, and I guess Earl wanted to do this topic because he fucking nailed it. <laughs> we had three questions here: key to the series, playoff hero, and Kale McCarr. The key to the series was controlling their own blue line, which the Avalanche did fantastically. Your surprise yeah, hero was... was Matt Nieto of the two shorthanded goals. And I will quote from your answer on Kale McCarr. If the Avs manage to make a run, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up playing in the 16 to 20 minute and point per game range. He's that good. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm going to pull a sideline reporter here. Talk about that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was kind of on a high after, you know, watching McCarr bunch down the stretch. But I mean, I really did believe that. I, I, I really did believe that he could come into a series like that, like, like this and and have the effect that he did um you know i i think the only bar to entry was really the the staff's confidence in him and i think i think both pratt and bednar really stepped up in wanting to use him and um you know not not sort of curtailing his minutes you know even when he was doing good, you could sort of see some coaches saying like, eh, it's great he scored in his first period in the NHL and all that, but this is a really important game. We can't use a rookie in this situation, but, you know. And, they let and their run. hand was obviously forced a bit, not having Gerard available, which right. that, that could have either not had him play right away or play less, but it was... So, so that helped, but I think both of us that had been the most familiar with McCarr knew that they they were going to fall in love with this kid right away like he wasn't going to get the seven seven minute ten shift 
Lindholm or Graves treatment. Like, they were going to believe in the talent and use him. I mean, in JB's press conference, it was either after game four or after the the more, the uh, practice the day after. And they're asking, you know, like, so what, what's the deal with Makar? You, you know, you still confident in using him and all that? And he's just like, hey, he's a special player. I mean, I have no problem with him. So, um, you know, that that's really great to have a coach that's that into that. I mean, it's like you can go through a lot of coaches in the NHL that would not be so... You know, that, that was a confluence of Makar being really good and, and Bednar really, you know, letting him be good. And I'll say um, for mine in particular, I I feel like I did good on saying that it was going to be a star-driven series. And the Avs stars did do better than the Flame stars. And that the Avs, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that the Avs were going to need to do something critical on the power play, which they did just enough to make a difference and yes i was the one that picked the flames to win the series so i'm the big big (laughs) negatory but i i Uh, thought i said it would be in six i thought it was going to be a close series but hey i'll i'll take the loss on that one no problem they they definitely surpassed my expectation of what they were were able to do and do it consistently yeah i didn't i mean i had no hope at all that the the power play was going to be a bonus i mean it, I, I thought it best if it if special teams didn't lose them this series that'd be a good thing and you know because it tried it actually to it turned early, out, in the early couple of games it definitely tried yeah to. i mean the, the right. power play and the and the pk were were even but when you put in nieto's two goals you know that that's that's sort of plus two for for special teams in general so i mean they actually were positive just that's fairly surprising. Yeah. So do we have uh, any other parting shots here? Um, I'd, I'd like to mention that there were two 99-point scorers in this series. And if you didn't know who they were and you guessed Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen, I really couldn't fault you for it. <laughs> but it's uh, Nathan McKinnon and Johnny Gaudreau, who did nothing. And McCarr actually had more points than Gaudreau. That's hilarious. No, I I spent a lot of time like we all spent a lot of time talking shit on on Johnny Gaudreau, who's obviously a good player. Blah 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 blah. It's but during a playoff series, you got to get your shots in when you can, and yeah, he he left himself open to a few. I you know I I, I thought it was kind of poor sportsmanship when he chirped the refs after going through the handshake line. I mean yeah, that's bogus yeah. as shit. Like get off the ice. You know <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Stand there, wait for the handshakes to end so you can thank your fans for being good fans. Like, get out of here. Right. Exactly. And then take your I mean, L on the way out. <laughs> right, I mean, he got a penalty shot. Which had no right. business being a penalty shot, by the way. It didn't, you know. Um, so I, I I, think it's a little misplaced animosity. Yeah, like, you got mugged. It's obviously a penalty. But penalty shot, like, you, you got yeah. a shot away. And it wasn't a bad shot either. Like, come on. You tried to go five hole and you failed, and then you tried to go somewhere and just had no opening because Grubauer's better than you. Sorry. Yeah. They'll be back. They're all they're good players over there. You know, it's I I think it was a good series. I it was, I think a a, a stepping stone for them. They they don't have a lot of experience, and that's one reason why going back a couple weeks ago, 
I wanted this matchup, and I'm the one that didn't pick the Avs to win it, but I felt like this was a lot more even matchup than it was on paper. I was, I mean, I, I was just amazed that their physical game didn't work because in the three games this season, they were able to, once they, you know, if they did get in trouble, they were, they were able to sort of ramp that up and get the abs off their game by being physical. It, it does yeah. seem like they abandoned that after game two. Like game three, they tried to do it in the yeah. third period when it was total minor hockey hour. Yeah, that was and, bad because bad message sending. Like, that's different. Yeah, but then after that, I agree. It was a bit surprising, especially in four and five. They just really didn't do it at all. Yeah. And, and, it, and it is surprising because they know that a four check is kind of like the Avs kryptonite. So it's like, why did you stop doing it? <laughs> yeah, and it's, I, I you know, I, I'm going to go back and look at this series, just, you know, let it cool off a bit and then take a fresh look at it. But I, I mean, I, they just didn't look like themselves. I mean, the abs looked more like the flames than the flames did. I, I think when their coaching staff looks back at this series, if they ever do, I mean, they, they're, you know, they're really not going to like what they see. And, and Bednar has gotten a lot of depth from just national voices for that series preparation for throwing whatever he threw at Calgary that they were just absolutely not ready for. So shout out again to JB. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I will give him a lot of respect because I think he came up with a great game plan for this series and it worked. And, you know, if he can continue to do that and, you know, one thing that we know is that, you know, he has made long runs in playoffs and other series and, Obviously, the NHL is a lot different than the minor leagues, but the you know the kind of thinking that goes into preparing for playing an opponent in a series rather than just game by game. And yeah, winning in the in the AHL is no joke. To get all the way yeah. to the end, there is yeah, definitely is very difficult. And and one last thing, and I'd then, like to say, I kind of disagree a little bit with with calling Calgary a, a real physical team because they're. I mean, they have just as much a skill game as the Avalanche do. I think they're more of a ratty team, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, they have a couple of guys who are out there to agitate and throw you off your game by, you know, just doing little ratty things. And Colorado's next two possible opponents are much better examples of an actual physical team that's going to come out and take a heavy game to you than, than Calgary is, just by my eye. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. The Calgary, the, their physicality comes from the forecheck, and like you said, not because they're especially heavy or have big players. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think the way Kachuk and Bennett play normally, um, you know, that part of, you know, and they don't even play on the same line normally, but it's you know, like those are physical players. Um, you know, I, I think in years past when they had Furlan, that was you know that was also part of it. So maybe they got a little bit away from that and. Maybe they're a little bit more skilled now, but um, you know, I, I think they're they're going to have to think about how how they're going to change their team slightly to be a little bit better in the playoffs. You know, I, and I I think a lot of that's going to come down to what can Bill Peters do as a coach um, when his strategy doesn't work because not scratch James much. Neal. Scratch James Neal. Yeah, scratch James Neal. It worked like a charm. Uh, would it have made a difference <laughs> if they had James Neal in that game? I wager no. 
James Neal's contribution to that series was eating boards. But he didn't get the bird flu courtesy. <laughs> hey, they only have him for another four years. <laughs> Say no to mid-level UFA, period. So Colorado's round two opponent will be the winner of the series between the San Jose Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights. That series is 3-2 to two in Vegas' favor, and they don't play again until Sunday night. So really all we can do here is talk about both teams. Uh, yay for adding too much running time to this show. The series is headed back to Vegas for Game 6, so decent odds of them pulling out the series win right then. But let's talk about them first. And then we'll double back to the same topics on San Jose. First question, why do you want the Avs to face the Golden Knights? What makes that a good matchup for Colorado? I think... It- I- it's just more fun. Selfishly, I like Vegas a lot more. I, I mean, obviously, I want the Avs to win. So it's not about like who I want their opponent to be just by who I like. But I just think it'll be more an entertaining series. Um, it's just I think the atmosphere, I think not playing in California might help. Hopefully not every game would be at 830 if it's against Vegas. That, that's one of my reasons to prefer <laughs> Vegas as well, yes. Um, but I mean, as far as hockey reasons, it's they're not as, an, not as much of an older, experienced team like San Jose is. So it, there's still a lot of, a little bit of that lingering, like really how good is Vegas, even though I think they're legitimately good, but... Are, do they really have a Western Conference title run in them? I think, and I think the Avs played them decently this year. I, th- did, I think the Avs won twice. I think I'll two out of the three times, and so and they did not beat San Jose. So I know that for sure. Um, the, the drawbacks, if you want to get into that right now, or do you want to save that? Save that for next question. Okay. This, All right. Let so that's my ki- that's my kind of wise. Yeah. Two one and zero well, is Colorado's record against Vegas this year. Two, um, two and I, I agree with loss. that. I, I I think that that Vegas would be a fun series. I think um, I, I think the Avs and the Knights are sort of closer than most people think as far as you know maybe their mindset on how to play. You know, Vegas obviously has a. Uh, they have a, a slightly older team, maybe a little bit more skilled. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I, I like that matchup as far as looking forward to watching in, you know, five, six, seven games of it. And I, you know, I, I, I think that the game that the Avs played against the Knights, I think it was what the fifth or sixth game before the end of the season. It, it obviously, it was d- during the win streak. Um, that, you was, know, that was I, I think they had it showed Malcolm that- Subban in that, by the way. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Gabe Bork got the winning goal. Yeah, um, Bork and Calvert will not be sniping in this uh, series. So. If, if they do, then the Avs in five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it just, you know, I, I just, I, I would look forward to seeing that matchup a lot more, um, you know, than, than any other options. Let me tell you and why I think I it would be, a, um, it would be a, a fresh matchup. You know, they're both new new in different ways, but it would just be a fresh, like, Vegas versus Colorado. I mean, 
that could kind of be the makings of maybe a little bit of a rivalry. It's just San Jose's like old and stuffy and boring. You know, and just there's the some former ads over on, on the Las Vegas team as well. We've got Nick Holden and Stastny. Yeah, here, here's your top five scorers right now in the, in the playoffs. With 10 points, Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone, Vegas Golden Knights. With nine points, Miguel Rantanen, Colorado Avalanche. With eight points, Nathan McKinnon, Colorado Avalanche, and Paul Statsny, Vegas Golden Knights. Does that series sound like a fucking blast? Yeah. Like, let's get <laughs> some goals. <laughs> right, like, just let's from a, anyone entertainment perspective, like, outsiders could really get into that series, like, which just sounds so, cool to me. So I'm going to piggyback on that for just a brief moment when I go through my, my uh, wish list for that series. The first is we already saw the coaching matchup with Bednar and Peters. Game set match for Bednar. Now he's going to go up potentially against Jared Gallant, who's done a remarkable job there. If Tougher Bednar matchup for sure. Coach him and get this team into the conference final. How much street credit does that give this oh, Avalanche yeah, club? Absolutely. Yeah, in, sure. I'd love to see that challenge against Gallant. Second thing, the goaltending. Grubauer versus Flurry. That That's is fun. just going to be outstanding. You got what three cup, three cups for Flurry, and then you got one for Grubauer, and it's just going to it's just going to be a fantastic goalie duel, especially with the way that Flurry has been known to play and how Grubauer is playing right now. It's just it just has the makings of it's just going to be as fun as you know goals left and right sounds. It's gonna it's probably going to be a war in the crease between both of these men, and it's just going to be absolutely fascinating to see which of them buckles first. And then the third thing, to finally circle back to, to Jackie's point, is the entertainment factor. We've seen the Vegas spectacle. They've done a great job of blending hockey with entertainment. It's one of the closest markets to Denver, so it really has a great chance to really become a true rivalry in the West with the Avs in terms of geographic proximity that the Avs never really have had before before so let's you know let's see something fresh let's see something entertaining and let's kind of build something where you've got these two clubs here in the Western Conference that could really lay the foundation for something really fun really rivalry laden and who's going to be like the the battle for western supremacy in in the conference if you will between the up and coming battle Vegas for the utah team. television market <laughs> <That too. laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. like who who's going to be kind of the new hot team in the west and yeah between color and vegas sounds pretty cool yeah and just like with the Flames, how the Avs never faced him in the postseason, we've never faced Vegas in the postseason, of course. They're, they're new. Shocking. And if, hey, and if uh, <laughs> the Avs pull that off and the Jets somehow make it to the conference final and we, play, we face the Jets, it's like, bam, knock off every new Western Conference playoff matchup that, the, that this market has never seen. Why not? <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. Uh, one more thing to mention here. Um, Mark Stone does have 10 points. Six of those are goals on 11 shots. That's a 54.5 shooting percentage. Shout out to Martin Jones. He's a good goalie. He's so is this a fine goalie. Into- <laughs> Not this year. So um, question two. 
what about the Vegas Golden Knights makes you want to dodge that series? Ryan you... Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> you think Ryan I... Reeves is a better agitator than Sean Bennett and his goddamn mustache? No, nah, I just want to deal with that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you could I, you also know, say McNabb. I don't think he'd be that much of a factor just because I, I think you put Ryan Reeves out against you know basically any of the Avs lines and they're just going to blow past him. Wait. You say McNabb will probably take one person out. <laughs> well, if he does, hopefully he takes himself out the rest of the series with a suspension, Nazem Kadri style. I, I'd say, like Vlad said, that the goaltending, you know, yeah. <laughs> If if Martin Jones continues to not play well, then we'd prefer prefer to see that versus Flurry, who has always played us very well. Um, you could say the Vegas is playing better right now, especially that Stone Stastny Pacioretty line. Yeah, that is, line is deadly. It's going to be a lot to handle. Um, but I, I I I like the idea of. McKinnon's line matching up against that, especially if they make the three-headed monster again. Like that—that that, that doesn't sound like a great matchup for Vegas, does it? it? Sounds like theirs is a lot slower than ours. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that—that's one thing that I'm sort of taking with a grain of salt in the the Vegas San Jose series is that they're both sort of method—you know—San Jose is a very methodical team. And Vegas has some fast players, but you know maybe their best players, you know, aren't aren't as quick as they used to be. Right. Um. For for me, I I feel like Vegas, like a lot of the conversation about that potential series has been a lot of the same things that we said about the Calgary series. Like Vegas's forward depth should outmanage Colorado's forward depth, and like it's. You know, goaltending will be a major factor there, and maybe Colorado has the better top-end talent, but with Vegas just has more of it, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, while that is encouraging, because Colorado just won that matchup in five, I, especially since they've, with what they did at the deadline to add Mark Stone, the the Vegas Golden Knights are just, I think, just better than Calgary. Yeah. So, I mean, you're Agreed. looking at a team that actually does what Calgary was supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't want to put too much importance on one player, but I, you know, if if they had managed to get Stone a little bit earlier, maybe then you know, Calgary isn't quite as good, and Vegas is is slightly better. Now, Vegas would have had home ice in their series at the very least. Like they would have caught yeah. San Jose. San Jose just started spiraling all through March. But they're I I just think that Vegas are a really solid team that play again that heavy style that works really well in the playoffs, and that Colorado may struggle to deal with. And, and, you know, and Gallant is a great coach, and that's, yes. you know, Vlad's right. That's going to be, you know, a, a really good matchup between coaches because, you know, <clears throat> it, it's so hard to match up with Jar <laughs> Gallant in sort of, you know, just sort of passing through on a Tuesday night kind of game. But, you know, given preparing for a series, I think that's that's something that, that maybe Bednar might do a little bit better in. We I'm concerned about facing the Stastny line. That's, I just, I just still have too many flashbacks of when he went to St. Louis, and I still haven't recovered. So, <laughs> like, don't, don't want any part of that. No, thank you. But if that's how the the 
if that's the draw, then as you say, Earl, hold on to your butts. <laughs> <laughs> Grab the peach. Predictions. If that if that series happens, what are you predicting? Probably the same Vegas and six. I don't know. I'd really have to think about that. I mean, I'd I'd, I'd have to pick the Avs, but <clears throat> I think it would probably take seven games to get it done. I could see that too. I th- I think it'd be a really good series. Uh, yeah, my brain says Vegas in six. Heart says Avs in seven. Yeah, I think it's really a coin flippy kind of matchup and honestly whichever team wins it would probably go about six games because it is so you know close but i think i give it to vegas as well just because of everything that we just kind of said um but obviously the x factors are still there mckinnon could just explode and the vegas offense could dry up against an actual goaltender so it it could be the abs in six just as easily but I, th- I think that you're going to see a lot of like the kind of prediction models like Micah's Rainbow Skeleton Cla- Crab will probably have that series 50-50. And I think that's pretty accurate. That may be one of the better series of the second round, assuming we don't see Leafs Islanders, which would just be hilarious. Yeah. And we might see it. So yeah, Boston's not looking so hot lately. Let's have the same questions about San Jose because, yeah, they're down 3-2, but they may win two games in a row. You never know. So why do you want the Avs to face the San Jose Sharks other than uh, Martin Jones? Because that goaltending has been porous. I was going to say Martin Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yep. The big hope is that that would continue, that he holds on for t- two more wins and then the Avs will just pick up a part. I'd also say San Jose has looked slow against the Avs. If the Avs made Calgary look slow, they were really going to make the Sharks look slow. And somehow that's never helped them against the Sharks, which is troubling. Which, yes, which is <laughs> odd. We'll but if, they could, if they could get Gerard back, he's done pretty well against the Sharks in his career. And I think that could be an advantage there. And then you add yeah. McCarr there, I think I think it's possible. I think what they've needed through all those years is players like Gerard and McCarr to be able to flip the script there against the Sharks. So what you're hoping for is it's just, yeah, basically like the younger, faster, the more youthful team can break through in that series. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very similar to, to what I said going into this series, is if, if the Avs can control their own blue line by, A, being able to break the puck out and um, not let the Sharks, you know, have a, a 60 or 70% shot share, again, as well as denying them entry and turning the puck over for transition chances, you know, I, I, I really like the Avs if they can do that. Um, so that, that's, that would be a key. And I, I think that McCarr, and, and if they get Gerard back, I mean, that's definitely going to help. So I've got two answers to this question. Um, I want the Avs to face the Sharks because the Sharks are worse than the Sharks have played. Like, just the last couple of months, they've, they've been not great. And this would be a real good time to go break that little curse we're about to talk about and, and get the Avs over the San Jose hump. Um, my other reason is that San Jose have Brent Burns and Eric Carlson on their back end. 
And in this season, season in this series against Vegas, because there's a there's your curse, the season series misspoken curse. Um, in in this series against Vegas, Burns and Carlson have been bad. Carlson's got a lot of points, but they've been defensively bad. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's tough. Um, it, it's it's not a great matchup for San Jose, but again, it. You know, it's been like that all year, and, and they haven't been able to to take advantage of it. So, you know, I, I do like the idea of breaking the curse. Yeah, so let's talk about the curse. Why do you want the Avs to dodge San Jose? Because they never win at the Shark Tank. Ever. Ever. How many regular season losses in a row is it now? I think it's 17 or 18. <laughs> 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 So yeah, on one hand you'd say they're due, but on the other hand, it's it's clearly a bad matchup for whatever reason. And, and, and I'll, I'll take that a little further. The ice in San Jose is it's terrible. terrible. Yeah, the camera. It's some of the worst. Terrible. The camera is terrible <laughs> as well. The ice is bad. The lighting is weird. The camera's on the moon, and the game started ten thirty <laughs> Eastern. Fuck playing San Jose. Yeah. Yeah, it, with San Jose, you're going up against a team that's that has the experience. They have a lot of playoff experience as a team, as players. So that's going to be hard to break through. I think they're a team that truly has a lot of depth, like all the way down through their lineup. And then with San Jose, you're going to worry more about the defense scoring than you would say from Vegas. Like you're just going to be seeing point shots forever and ever and ever yeah the, yeah the number six score on the playoffs list so far is eric carlson with seven assists he's tied with matt duchene who's shooting 30 percent. so hello is that before <laughs> after looking into the stands <laughs> you just don't want to um, give 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 burns a chance to get going it's just i know they haven't been playing well so you could say right now vegas is playing better and san jose hasn't been playing well but then again if they win these next two games they're probably going to start getting on a roll a little bit too. So I just, I don't know. I, I don't really want to fight that fight. I think if I'd rather fight Vegas and if they get the best of us, that's fine. I just, I don't want to, I don't really just don't want to go up against San Jose. It, it just doesn't sound like fun. It's not that I don't think the abs have no chance. It just doesn't sound like any fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind the San Jose matchup for couple of the reasons that we've already outlined with Martin Jones and Carlson and Burns not playing very well. But you know, that's just hoping that players continue to be bad. It's not because we think the Avs have any real great advantage there. It's just hoping that we catch them on a downswing. Yeah. Hoping that the good players catching up. continue to not play like good players. Like Martin Jones has gotten a lot of hate this season and all of it has been, you know, reasonably deserved. But like his career numbers are fine. It's this like he's yeah. having a pecorine oops season right now. So yeah, I don't want I don't like the feeling of pinning most of the hope on just yeah, like good players not playing well. Yeah, well, Jones I mean, has already been scratched the last in favor two games of against Arundel. Yeah, has, has it's he? already happened. I thought Jones started every game and then just was getting pulled a lot. I think I, I think Dell might have started the last one. I, I don't know what happened the last one. I just know that Martin Jones has been giving up goals in the first ninety seconds of the game like they're free. Or maybe that's what I'm 
thinking of is that he got pulled so fast it felt like he was starting. Yeah, <laughs> by the time you tune in, it's already Dell, yeah. It um, can definitely be it, especially if you're watching other games. I, I think one thing I worry about with the Sharks is, you know, I, I think the, the speed is going to affect their older players a lot. For um, sure, that is the one advantage the Avs are going to have. They are definitely faster than the Sharks. But, um, you know, the Sharks aren't all old. I mean, they have guys like LeBanc and Tino, Timo Time that are, you know, younger players at least, even though Timo Time's not all that fast. But LeBanc is pretty fast, and he's good. So... You know, we, we kind of pigeonhole them into the old experienced team, but you know, they do have a good farm system and, and, and tend to reload. Yeah, a lot of that kind of perception, I think, is just like honing, honing in on one Joe Thornton. Yeah, because <laughs> he looks like he's 60. Another good reason to dodge the San Jose Sharks is Joe Pavelski is an absolute abs killer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'm not sure that Vegas have that bad too. Paul Stastny. Yeah. There's not enough history there. With Joe Pavelski, it's been his entire career. <laughs> that is true. Yep. I will defer to that, yes. That's why he'll never sign with the Avs, because half his career production might dry up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, see, now you're thinking of Colton Sissons. Like, Joe Pavelski is a good player against other teams, too. Well, yes, that's true, but he'll miss that bump. <laughs> Colton Sissons has scored like a third of his career goals against the Colorado Avalanche. It's annoying. So if Colorado do take on San Jose, what is your prediction there? For me, I feel like it, it, it's going to be quick either way. Like like Vegas, you could easily see a six or seven game series. I think San Jose is like five, maybe six. And either way, like if the advantages the Avs have, if, if they're good players, just aren't playing that great, the Avs could go in and just, keep the momentum going they had against Calgary and pretty much wrap it up. But I think if San Jose gets back to the way they play against the Avs, the way they're able to exert their structure and continue to win at home, I think it will be a quicker series. I could see it over in five, maybe six for San Jose. Yeah, I agree with that, but I, I can't figure out who would win. Um, <laughs> cause I, I mean, it's true. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I do think that we'll know pretty quickly who's going to have the upper hand in the matchup, and you know, maybe you know, maybe injuries affect that after a couple games or something like that. But you know, it, it does look on paper like you know, if if the Sharks uh, are able to exert their shot share and and the speed isn't killing them, they'll they'll probably take care of the Abs pretty quick. And if the Abs speed does overwhelm them and the Sharks are just never in our end, then the Abs are going to probably take care of this pretty quick. It really depends I'm on. Going as it, sticks. it really depends on how much the, the trends continue, right? Like if if San Jose continues to struggle in their own end, Colorado's going to blow them up. And if Colorado continues to have Nathan McKinnon just exert his will on the game, then they're going to blow them up. But if San Jose can do anything to stop either of those things, then it then I think it's pretty much anyone's series. Yeah. Wh- which is why I give the Avs an advantage in this matchup because there, I I can think of more scenarios where Colorado win more games. So I'm I'm gonna agree with what I just cut off Vlad from saying, which is Avs in six, and see if his reasoning is different. I'm gonna <laughs> say San Jose in five. I know, and if they beat the Sharks, then I'll I'll be I will wear the big negative L. But I just You'll wear the it's Scarlet just L. not a 
Yep. It's not a great matchup. I'd much rather see Vegas. So I'm saying Sharks in five. So even though I pick Vegas, but I pick at Colorado against San Jose, I agree with wanting to see Vegas because I agree that it doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> but sorry, I know you were asking Vlad. I sure was. His reasoning, so. Well, as much as recent history has been with, and I guess recent history going over the last you know, several years with the Avs and the Sharks, that it's been, you know, all Sharks all the time, trends change. And with the Avs now, they just knocked off the Western champs in five. That's got to give this young group a lot more swagger heading into a place where historically they've just been terrible. And you want to pl- you want to play in those challenging environments. You want your best players to rise to those occasions, and this sets the stage for that. You put Nathan McKinnon, you put Gabe Landeskog out there, you put Miko Rantanen out there, and you put Philip Grubauer back in goal against this Sharks outfit that they've always struggled against, and they they still win. Why not? I still, I still think Vegas is more, it, it, it's a challenge, but in a different way. Like how we explain the coaching matchup. I, I just think the player matchups better. Like, it's not that I necessarily think it's easier. I also, th- also think it's more challenging in a way because it really truly is like certain things head to head. Yeah. I really think that Vegas has the more talented match and the tougher match. And in a way I kind of like, again, as I mentioned earlier, it gives the abs a bit more street cred in the Western conference versus pointing out the flaws in San Jose like we've already done and say, oh, well, they had X, Y, and Z things that didn't work for San Jose, and the Avs had all these things that worked. And like against Calgary, even though season series hadn't gone well, Calgary took three games. And I I even said that I felt like the Avs, even though those games were back and forth, they did not play well, and they did not play well against the forecheck. But in previous years, like last year, the Avs even pretty much knocked the Flames out of the playoffs. I remember when they played head-to-head and the Avs beat Calgary and moved ahead of them permanently. So it's not like a team that they hadn't matched up well against in the past. True. Well, that happened a little bit last year, too, with, with Nashville, because Nashville was one of those barns where Colorado would just go in and lose every game. And no, they didn't win that series, but they took games in Nashville. And on and on the way to get there, they took games in St. Louis in the regular season, which is another arena that they refused to win games in. So, I mean... I definitely think they could slay the Dragon. I don't think they would go to San Jose and lose all potentially all three games there. I think you could see I think really they, close to a repeat of the series that we just saw if Colorado plays San Jose. Maybe they go in and split one and two and then crush three and four and we and then, you know, get cursed in game five wrap and it up. we have game six. <laughs> Win it at home this time. Don't do it on the road. Pacific Dangerous. Division champs, here we come. That's what I really want. That would be hilarious. That actually would be and it would be the I believe the first time that a crossover team will win the division. I don't think that's happened since they've had this playoff format. Yeah, that, that would be hilarious. And I I think if the Avs win their second round matchup, I don't think... I I, I would be hard-pressed to not favor them over anyone else. Well, sure, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> at that and they point, may as well, since... If they win this well, series, their, their draft pick goes from 16 to at, at best 28. Oof. So... And that would, that does hurt my heart as a as a draft junkie, but I get like 
throw yeah. to the Western winning the Conference second round finals, would be amazing. So. Yeah. yeah, we're not sitting there wanting to throw over a couple of draft no, positions. No, not at all. But it's it's a, but it is, a funny you know, perspective. It if is. If you're going to so pick cool. at 28, you may as well pick 31st, right? <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's be real. The difference between one and 16 is a lot bigger than the difference between 16 and 28. Yeah. Yeah. Like even even though like what's an equal distance from from one to 13 and from 14 to 28 are not the same thing. So yeah, it's a lot more I mean, even than get... the second half of the first round. Right. It is still a nice wrinkle that you, if they do lose the second round series, they still get to pick at sixteen. Yeah, that's pretty fun. <laughs> Ahead and of fourth, <laughs> and always fourth. Yeah, lucky that's, number that's, four. That's what makes. You know, whether they pick 16th or 28th or 31st, not really matter that much because they're always going to pick four. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Jibble Scribbits was on fire on, on Twitter last night, which he's got his account locked for some reason right now. Um, but since the since the Micah Rainbow Skeleton Crab model had Colorado temporarily with the best odds of winning the cup, he said, well, since Colorado have the best chance of winning first, we know they'll finish fourth. <laughs> that's kind of sad but hey four is one of my lucky numbers and pretty good returns on Macar there so far so yeah four and, could be pretty cool and i'd take finishing fourth getting into the western conference final and that too no question so I think that'll do it for this episode of Burgundy Radio. We're we're going deep into the spring with this one, apparently. We don't know yet when the second round will start, but games seven are scheduled as late as April 24th, which is Wednesday. Then there's usually one series in the, in the first round, at least, out of the eight that go the whole distance. So that'll probably happen. It's hard to imagine a series starting any earlier than that. But we'll probably have two games to talk about next week. The, uh, the San Jose Vegas game seven, if necessary, is on Tuesday. So... You would expect the Avs to start on probably Thursday, maybe Friday. I, I'm i going to guess Friday, but we'll see. It's probably Thursday or Friday. Slight chance for Saturday, but they'll, they'll probably want to get it going by at least Friday. That would be a full week off for Colorado, so hopefully not. That's too much time off. I mean, I, know, I know it is, but I really think they can benefit a lot, like I said earlier, with... Know, I, I think Landeskog and Rantanen and, and others, maybe Carl, um, definitely Sam. I mean, you know, getting getting some of those guys healthier, even an extra day, could pay off. Definitely, and and I especially look forward to like we talked a lot about Bednar and the game plan he would come up with, but especially if he gets Sam back, the way that he would deploy both Sam and Makar now, I think could be a huge factor in this series because it's something the other team is going to have no idea what's coming with that. And I would like to think with several days to plan that Bettner could come up with some pretty good ideas there. And just Makar in general, like he'll get a, uh, you would hope they'd have one real practice this week. They didn't even have one last <laughs> week. Yeah. So you'd, th you'd think one real practice, be able to get McCarr to do even more things. And there really is a lot of benefits to having this extra week. I think we all need an emotional break. I think just our, to kind of... sleep schedules needed an emotional yeah. break. Sleep. 
just enjoy that they they cross this hurdle and they're on to the next one. It's nice to just kind of invigorate in in that joy and then it, it should give the Avs a good advantage to have that extra time. So I think it's especially good for Kale McCarr, not even just because of the practice angle, but just because this is a college player who's not used to going out and playing really goddamn hard hockey every other night. That's true too. <laughs> he's yeah. probably welcoming waiting till next weekend now. That's what he's used to. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much for spending all this time with us. I know that the first half of the show, the audio was completely a mess, but it did stabilize toward the end. So thank you for sticking with us as we get into the bonus rounds of the NHL season. Um, every episode, you can definitely know where to find us. If you're listening to this one, it'll be on SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio. It'll be posted on BurgundyRainbow.com. You can find this just by searching for Burgundy Radio in whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. Game one, probably also game two, coming at you next week. We'll see what happens. You're lucky if the first tree is over by midnight on the East Coast. There is a huge fucking bug in my room. Holy crap. And our break will probably cover the entirety of the rest of the Eagles run. (laughs) So that's not a spider, I don't think. I think it's too spindly to be a spider. A giant woolly caterpillar like I had the other night? No, it's not a caterpillar. It's very creepy. It's this really humongous, splayed out, this like thin bug. What did you end up doing with said caterpillar? I just let him go outside. Oh, okay. I never saw it. It was was night, so I didn't see where he ended up. I don't really need a friend that bad, so I'm just going to dispatch this little dude real quick. Seriously, at the size of my palm. This is not going to work. I'm just going to stare at him the whole show if I don't do something. What kind of insect is that big? <laughs> Elias Lindholm. <laughs> Sounds like a wolf spider. Couldn't find a fly sweater, so I got the next best thing, which is a skate shoe. <laughs> <laughs> ah! He's right against the ceiling. I don't know if I can reach him. Use a vacuum. Oh. Got him. I hope so, because it's gone. (laughs) It's not on my shoe. (laughs) I don't see it anywhere. Apparently I need to sweep my walls. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's get ready to start the show. I'll be right back.